Good morning. Welcome to Christ Church Bartlett. We're all glad to see you here this morning. Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you that you're a sovereign grace, uh, grace, God of grace and mercy. Lord, we just thank you that we live in a country where we can worship you freely, Lord, and we can go out from this place in the following weeks, Lord, and show people that you are Lord of our life. Lord, I thank you how you've led us into an attitude of worship this morning through the music, and Lord, I just lift Grant up to you this morning, Lord, that as he'll just be your vessel, Lord, of truth, that he'll be, he'll just move and let you speak through him, Lord, and that uh, our hearts will be prepared to receive the message that you have for this morning. And Lord, I especially pray that if there's anybody here that does not know you as personal Savior and Lord, that today will be the day that they truly meet you for the first time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Um, that's If you don't know who that is, then you, you are blessed. But um, that is... Uh, Scott Jones, he's uh, one of our elders here, and I, I thank you for that. And, and there's nothing like when someone prays for you. I, isn't that true? Like, there's nothing like it. You know, Wednesday, um, we had uh, uh, Dean Moore um, came in, in to our prayer time on Wednesday, and he prayed for me. And, and I told someone later, I said, I felt like in that moment, like, I could, I could tear a lion apart. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, when you know someone, like a godly man, like, that's praying for you, you're just like, oh, right? You know? like bring it on and um anyway uh he they're de they definitely need to be in our prayers uh they found out this morning that his wife had a stroke um and so she's in the hospital right now and so we we need to be praying for the Moore family um for certain um so this morning uh, uh before we get started with with everything else I i'd like to say there's been this book that's been out that a lot of people have been talking to me about and asking me about um and it's called is heaven uh heaven is for real um and so and on the 24th a couple weeks from now uh that's what we're gonna be talking about on sunday morning it's gonna be called is heaven is for real for real all right and uh and so we're gonna talk and look through the scriptures about what the bible talks about when it talks about heaven and different things that are in that book so if you want to get the book and read it in the meantime so you know where we are that's fine if you don't that's fine as well uh you don't need to um but anyway so so we'll be talking about that in a, in a couple of weeks um and and what we're going to be doing we're just going to be looking at the scriptures and and that's what we're doing today as well um and that's what we do every sunday because the reality is i don't hold a lot of wisdom I don't hold a lot of intelligence, but I definitely don't hold a lot of wisdom. Um, but the scriptures do. Um, and so if you don't have a Bible, we, you really need one this morning. You really need to follow along with this. If you don't have a Bible in your hands, you can go to uversion.com on your phone, or you can go in your app store, search Bible. There's a great app in there on iPhone and Android. It's the Uversion Bible. It's fantastic. You can follow along. If you need a Bible, come talk to us and tell us. We'd love to get you one. And again, we probably have a lost and found with many Bibles. Just come to the office. We'll give you one. And, and who cares what name is on it, right? You, it's your gift, all right? Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I love movies. Uh, anyone in here love movies? 
I watch way too many movies, all right? But, but I love movies. But I'll tell you a genre of movie that I do not care for. And that's scary movies, right? I, do, I don't like them. And it, it doesn't, I'm not saying that like I'm scared when I watch them. I don't find them entertaining. I don't think it's fun. It's just I don't like them, right? And when I was a kid, I remember watching a movie came out. It was really popular called Scream. And I remember watching that movie and I was terrified the whole time. And then I started to think. I said, hang on. Okay, Grant, think about this logically. There's a camera that they're looking into. Uh, there's a script. They know this is happening. There are people behind the camera. They're going to yell cut and then they're going to high five and hug. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't a scary thing. And I psyched myself out of scary movies for the rest of my life. I just don't like them. But the reality is, it's a big business. Anyone in here like horror films? Anyone in here? Big horror film buff? All right, you weirdos. I see you out there, all right? Uh, the, the horror film business, um, The Exorcist. Who, who saw The Exorcist? Uh, most people probably seen The Exorcist. The Exorcist, to date, to date, has made... billion dollars. $2.1 $2.1 billion on that stupid movie, right? Like, we like scary movies. And then I started to think, okay, if people like scary movies, then, then what do they like about it? Well, scary movies have like a bad guy, and there's like a lot of gore usually, and like all kinds of, you know, just bizarre, just twists and turns and things. And so I started to think, you know, a lot of that is in the Bible. And so then I started to look for scary scriptures, and, and I found a couple. And one of my favorites uh, comes out of the, the book of Judges in chapter 4. Now, at the time, Deborah was the, was the judge of Israel. She was leading Israel. And, and, and God, yeah, she's a female. And that's not the scary part, okay? But she's leading. I, get, all right. So anyway, so she's leading Israel. And at this time, uh, they're being oppressed, okay? And now, now they're being oppressed by an enemy force. And so she, she tells uh, Barak, and it's not who you're thinking of, but she tells Barak, get the army together and go get them. And he says, I'll only go if you come with me, right? Typical male. And so anyway, he says, I'll only go if you come with me. She says, all right. So they go and she said, but listen, God's going to deliver their big bad general, and his name was Sisera. He's going to deliver him to a woman. You won't get the glory. You won't get the fame for killing him. God's going to deliver him to a woman. And so they go in and they fight and they're just, they're just doing awesome. And so this general runs away and he runs away and he comes to this tent uh, and it's Heber's tent is the guy's name, Heber, and his wife is there. Her name is Jael. And Jael takes him in and she recognizes, hang on a second, I know who this guy is. This is that big bad general everyone's afraid of. And so he says, you know, don't tell anyone I'm here. And she says, yeah, no problem. Drink this milk, take a nap, I got your back. And then what does she do? She takes a tent spike and hammers it through his temple. And the Bible says, hammers it through his temple until it's pinned to the ground. All right, like, oh, right? Like, she doesn't just one time. She keeps going until it's stuck in the ground. And then when people come looking for him, she goes, hey, I got him. I got him. (laughs) Right here. He's not going anywhere. And I just, that blows my mind, like, to the ground. I was at my grandmother's house the other day. And, uh, and, and we saw a, a squirrel in the backyard who had been attacked by dogs or something, and his back was broken, and his back two legs didn't work. And so he's, like, dragging himself around the yard. And I was like, that's kind of funny. And so he's, like, he's doing that. And my mom says, you need to put him out of his misery. You need to hit him with a shovel. And I went, excuse me, Kathy Bates? This is not misery. Like, 
Are you serious right now? You want me to hit this animal with a shit? What if I miss? What if he moves? What if I make it worse? Like, I would be haunted by little squirrels in my dreams. The rest of my, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, that's outrageous. But like, so there's this, this story, like in the scriptures, it's like that gory, like she, oh, through the, oh, right? Like just, what a, that's a scary story. That is something for Hollywood. And, and I started to think like, yeah, that's scary. And, and really, who's it the scariest for? Heber right? Like seriously, you come home and your wife's like, look what I did. Ho! <laughs> you know what, honey? I, that, I'm, that flower bed you wanted me to put in, I'm going to do it right now. You know, like I'm, I'm good. Anything, you want something else while I'm out? Like seriously, Heber, that's scary for Heber. But anyway, I, I, I started to move to the New Testament and, and I, I found a lot of theologians saying that there's this one scripture for those in churches and those who call themselves followers of Jesus that are probably, that's probably scarier than any other scripture in the New Testament. And, and so I was intrigued by this. And it's Matthew chapter 7, and, and we just read it together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So listen to what Jesus says about them. He says, you're workers of lawlessness. Now, what do they do to be workers of lawless, lawlessness? Because I want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says they won't because they're workers of lawlessness. So what did they do? What, like what in the world makes them workers of lawlessness? Well, let's look. Look at verse 21. They said, Lord, Lord. That sounds like a good thing to do, right? Like they're acknowledging his authority. They're acknowledging like you are Lord. You are to be respected. You are, you are Lord, right? Like you have power, right? And you say that doesn't seem like something that would make you a worker of lawlessness. But the reality is it's, it's not enough because you know what? Even the demons admit that he's Lord. In, in Mark chapter 5, when I was a kid, this is my favorite story in the Bible because I guess little kids like to be scared. But it was a demoniac. And it was this guy, and he was possessed by demons, and he was, he was crazy, and he would cut himself with stones and just yell, and, and they tried to bind him, and he'd break every, like all the chains and stuff, and he was just scary and just crazy out of his mind, right? Well, when Jesus walks up to him, do you know what he says? you know what the demons inside him say? Crying out in a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Son of the Most High God. So they acknowledge, they say, Lord, Lord. Okay, so maybe that's not enough. Just to declare Jesus is who he is, that's not enough. That's still, that's still you're still a worker of lawlessness. That's still not doing the will of the Father. So, so what is it? Look at verse 22. They prophesied, they cast out demons, they did mighty works. And, and you go, well, hang on a second. Those aren't bad things. Jesus did all those things. Jesus prophesied. Jesus cast out demons. And Jesus did mighty works. These are all good things. I'm really confused now. Well, say, well, maybe they didn't do it in Jesus' name. Yes, they did. Look, it says in Jesus' name they did it, which is a powerful name. In Philippians 2, it says, every knee will bow in heaven, uh, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he, that's a powerful, powerful name, and it's still not enough. It's still not enough. So these will not enter the kingdom of heaven. These people who have declared that he's Lord, they're doing all these mighty things. They're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Who will? Look at verse 21. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So to acknowledge his power, to do mighty works in his name, 
is not the will of the Father. And you say, well, hang on a second. And you're right. Let's take pause. I don't mean that it's not the will of the Father. I don't mean that it's not what He desires. That's absolutely something He desires. Because we're commanded to do that. We're commanded to, in, in 2 Peter it says, we're commanded to declare the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, right? So we're commanded to say, Lord, Lord. And we're commanded to do mighty works in his name. But what I, when I say, what is the will of God to enter the kingdom of heaven? Then what we're asking is, what does God require of us? Above all, above all things, what does God require of us? What is his will for us? What does he require of us more than, than declaring who he is, more than doing mighty works, more than casting out demons, all these things? What does he require of us above all? Because it's only when we do those things that we belong in the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know about you, but I want to belong in the kingdom of heaven. So what is that? What are, what are those things? What is it that he requires of us? I think to get that answer, we need to look at another story uh, that involves workers of lawlessness. And it comes in Acts. It comes in Acts chapter uh, 19. Acts chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Acts chapter 19. Um, and we're going to begin reading in verse 11. Acts chapter 19. This is one of my favorite stories from the scriptures too because it's kind of hilarious. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 12. So flip, flip. You're good? Okay, that's enough. All right. Uh, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, um, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So, here we go. Paul, God's doing some amazing things through Paul, so that even when things touched his skin, handkerchiefs, aprons, anything touched his skin, they could carry that to someone else. The demons would leave them. Their sicknesses would leave them. Amazing things were happening through Paul. But, but look, look at this. Look at verse 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. God is the source. Paul is simply uh, the object. God is the source. Paul is simply the object. Paul does not deserve any of the glory or the praise or the admiration. It's all God's. And so can I side note real quick? How do we deal with love and admiration for human beings then? When is it not dangerous? And here's what I mean by that. There are pastors that you love. There are writers that you love. There are musicians that you love. And, you know, they they might write books like about Jesus. You know, it might be, you know, Max Licato. It might be Francis Chan. It might be, you know, whoever it is that you like to read. uh, Beth Moore, whatever. And you might really love that person. And whatever they write or whatever they put out, you go buy it immediately. You know, or there might be a, a Christian band or a singer or something that whatever CD they release about Jesus, you go buy it immediately. You know, there might be a preacher that you listen to every week and, and by choice, not because you have to. And, uh, and you might, every time they have a sermon, you have to hear it, right? And so you download it or, you, or whatever. And, and so you genuinely feel affection for them. When is that okay? How do we deal with that? Because, you know, I went to Minnesota and one of my biggest heroes is named John Piper. And I went to uh, uh, the Desiring God Conference in Minnesota last year, and it was amazing. And, and all of a sudden, we're in this small room going to this little meeting, and there's maybe 20 people in there. And then in walks John Piper. And I was like, oh, right? You know what I mean? Like, he's a, he's a little dude. Like, he's a little, you know, older man or whatever. But, like, when he walked in, I was like, oh, there he is. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, like, I felt like, a, like an 11-year-old girl and Justin Bieber just walked in. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, there he is. Look at his shoes. You know, like, I just, I was like, I was just like overwhelmed, right? 
And I didn't know how to deal with that feeling, you know, and, and I met him and I got to take a picture with him and I talked to him and just told him how much I loved him. And it was just like a, just in a great, great, it's like meeting the apostle Paul for me. That, that's what it's like. So if, 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 if I speak so highly of him, then that means today go buy a book with John Piper, right? All right. So go look him up. But anyway, when I, um, uh, uh, when I got to meet him, I was like, how do I deal with this this love for him, is this dangerous? Because it could be, you know, because I, I don't want anyone to ever say, I'm a follower of Grant, you know, or, or I'm a follower of Christ Church, or I'm a follower of John Latimer. I want everyone to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but how do you deal with when you admire someone so much, or you love someone so much, when does it not become dangerous? And then Francis Chan got up to speak at Desiring God Conference, and he said this about John Piper, and it kind of put it all in perspective. He said this, He said, I love John Piper so much because through the work God's done through him, I love Jesus more. He says, I love Jesus more. I'm drawn to Jesus more. My affections for Jesus are stirred more because of the work God has done through John Piper. Therefore, my love of him, my admiration of him is a love and an admiration for God. So when is it okay? When is it not dangerous to love and admire a human being that much? is when that love and that admiration for them points you right back to loving and, and admiring Jesus even more. Um, and so, uh, I know you, you guys are dealing with that because you're like, I love Brother John so much, I want to be just like him. And so you all went out and bought, you know, suspenders and stuff. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> when your love for them, when your love for Brother John, when your love for whatever band you listen to or whatever, whatever author you read, points you to Jesus, that's when it's okay. That's when it glorifies God. So just be careful. Be careful because if your love terminates on them, then it's useless and it ends there for you. All right, uh, let's keep going. So God's doing some amazing things through Paul. Look at verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jews, Jewish exorcists, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. Now look at this. It says in verse 13, they were itinerant Jewish exorcists which probably looks awesome on a business card. But what does that mean? I'm an itinerant Jewish exorcist. What does that mean? Itinerant means they traveled around. They didn't have a place. Um, And their, their, their profession was they were exorcists. They went where they were needed, okay? So they traveled around exercising demons, uh, and not the, you know, one, two, one, two, but like get out exercise, right? So they're exercising demons. They're getting these demons out, and then they travel to another town and do that and do that and do that. And so, so they're doing what? Like verse 22, like we read before, they're doing mighty works, really. They're doing mighty works. And, and we see also that they invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. So like verse 22, they say, Lord, Lord. They recognize that God has power here. This Jesus has power like we've never seen. And so they begin to invoke his name to cast out these demons. But look how they do it. Look at how they do it. They don't say, in the name of Jesus, get out. They say what? I adjure you, or I compel you, or I order you, I command you, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So they knew about him, but they didn't know him. That's a very impersonal way to talk about Jesus, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jesus whom Paul proclaims. 
So they're tying them together. They're not saying the Jesus I know, the Jesus that I recognize as God. They're saying, no, no, he's definitely powerful, but it's the Jesus that Paul proclaims. It's extremely impersonal. And, and knowing a lot about someone doesn't mean that you know them. And a good example of that is Facebook. Facebook has created the most bizarre relationships I've ever had in my life. You know what I mean? Like the people you, you like talk to them on Facebook, like you look at pictures of their dogs and they look at pictures of your cats. You know what I mean? And, and like you comment every now and then like, oh, it's nice hair. And then like you see them in public and it's awkward because you don't really know each other, right? Like all Facebook, like knowing a lot about you doesn't mean that I actually know you. And so all Facebook does, like if I read that your cat peed on your sofa for the third time, all I know about you is that I don't want to ever hang out with you, right? It doesn't mean that I know you. It just means I don't want to enter your house because it's going to smell awful for a long time, right? And so in the same way, like they don't know Jesus, they know about him. They admit he has power, just as the demons do, but they don't know him. So let's keep going. Uh, in verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. So these people, they, were, they had status. Like they are, they are sons of a high priest. And so they get their band together, the Jackson 7, if you will. And they're going out, right? And they're going out to cast out these demons together. And they do it and, and they do it and in, in, in invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, just like all these other people are doing. And so they're doing mighty works in the name of Jesus, Right? But it wasn't enough. Look at what happened. Look in verse 15. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? So here's what, the, here's what the demon says. He says, I recognize Jesus as God. I know who he is, right? And I also recognize as Paul as one of Jesus's, as belonging to Jesus. I know that he's one of the followers of Jesus. Uh, and so I recognize those two. Who are you? They have power. Who are you? Now, I'm not in the itinerant Jewish exorcism business, um, but I can imagine that when facing down a demon and he says to you, if you command him to get out and he says to you, who are you? That's a bad day at the office, right? <laughs> so let's keep going. Look at verse 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. They got their pants beat off of them, literally. Like, they just got messed up. I love this word right here. It says, he mastered all of them. If I ever get in a fight, I don't want someone to say, like, yeah, Grant beat me. I want them to say, he mastered me, right? Like, that is a, like, he beat the pants off of them, right? Like, and, and that... You know, like, have you ever been in a fight like that? Maybe as a little kid where you got your pants beat off of you. You know what I mean? Like, by the grace of God, I've run my mouth, but I've always had big friends. You know what I'm talking about? And so that's never happened to me. But in Destin, it almost happened to me. Um, we had uh, uh, our, our intern for the summer, Matthew Moore, a wonderful, godly young man. Um, he tried to whisper a comment about literally the largest human being I've ever seen in my life that walked by him. And as he whispered the comment, the comment got out, and it had, the comment had something to do with steroids, and it entered this man's ear, which apparently steroids make your, makes your hearing better. And so it entered this man's ear, and he gets all up in his face. And so I round the corner, and I see the largest man I've ever seen in my life in, in Matt's face. And Matt looks like... Have you ever seen a bear corner a human being? Like, 
that, okay? You know what I mean? Like, and he's just, he's shaking, and he's red, and it's just like, and rightfully so, all right? Like, don't be like, ah, Matt, no. Listen, no, you'd be the same way. If you weren't, you're dumb, all right? So this guy's just like in his face and whatever. And So I try to come in the middle and try to calm it down, you know? And I'm like, hey, hey, whatever it is, we can fix it. And, and eventually he starts to walk away. And, and then he like, he, he curses very, very harshly at Matt, one of my students. I should have let it go. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Instead, I said, hey, man, hey, they're kids. Leave them alone. You don't talk to kids like that. And he turns around and gets in my face, and this tingle went down my spine. <laughs> and it was, it was that moment when I realized my almost 27 years of never being hit in the face is about to change, <laughs> right? And so... You know, and he starts going off about, I'm in the gym every day to look like this. And he says, you know, like, have you ever seen anybody who looks like this? Again, I should have kept my mouth shut. (laughs) Instead, I thought, yeah, but I had to pay admission. And so, (laughs) now listen, by the grace of God, we're here today. My, I have everything still attached, and, uh, and we were not beaten to death. But if that guy had decided, he could have easily beaten our pants off and beaten our parents' pants off 400 miles away, right? Like, it would have been bad. And so that's what happens. There are seven of them, and this one guy jumps up and just Bruce Lee's them all, right? And they go running, okay? And so uh, they got their pants beat off them. So how do we know that these men were workers of lawlessness? It never says in the story. It doesn't say they're workers of lawlessness, but how do we know? Well, they weren't doing the will of the Father because you know what? Number 15, in verse 15, they weren't recognized as one of Jesus's. They weren't recognized as a follower of Jesus. I know Jesus, and I know Paul. I don't know you. You don't belong to them. So we see that they, they don't belong to Jesus. Look at verse 16. They didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit with them. What happened? They commanded the demon to come out, and the demon beat their pants off. So they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit with them. Because the Holy Spirit had been with them, he would have protected them. And, and that demon wouldn't have had the power over them that he had. So, who are those who will enter the kingdom of heaven in this story? You say, in this story, we'll see those who truly do the will of the Father, truly do that which, which is required of them. Where is it? Look at verse 18. Many of those who were now believers came. So look what it says. They were now believers in verse 18. So that means between verse 16, where they got the pants beat off of them, and between verse 18, where they're believers, they did the will of the Father. Something made them believers. They did the will of the Father. The key here we're looking for in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, is in verse 17. So let's look at it. In verse 17, it says... And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. The name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So the Lord Jesus was extolled. What does extolled mean? Well, extolled means to praise highly, to glorify, to magnify, to laud. But in practical terms, extolled means to treasure. Extolled means to treasure. So the Lord Jesus, these people, to become believers, to do the ultimate will of the Father that's required of all men to enter the kingdom of heaven is what? To treasure Jesus, period. Not to do mighty works, those are all good. Not to to declare he's Lord, absolutely, 
those are great things and you will do that if you truly treasure him. But mainly what do you do? You treasure him. You treasure Jesus. And think about it. Something that you treasure, you do exalt. You do extol. You do highly praise. You know, last night we were looking at pictures of, of Max. Max is uh, 10 months old now, and he's just, he's out of his mind right now. He's just like, you know, like he, he can't sit still like his mom. And, uh, you know, like he's crawling everywhere, and, and you know, everything is his, and he's got to have it, and it's got to go in his mouth. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, we were, we were looking at pictures uh, of him last night from the first month he was born. And when he was born, he was 5'14" five pounds, 14 ounces. Um, so he was little, right? Like we had to go get new uh, preemie clothes. We weren't expecting that. And so we had this little thing and, and we were just so proud of him. I still am. And, and, and we treasured him so much. Now, looking back on it, I think my son right now is the cutest kid of all time. Looking back on it, we were telling everyone, this is the cutest baby of all time. He looked like an old man. He looked like a, like a five pound old man. He looked like Benjamin Button. You know what I mean? There was a lot of like just wrinkles and things and he was like pruny and, and you know, like, like looking back on it, I, like we looked at that picture and I was like, oh, who is that? Where's my, my kid? You know what I mean? Like, but we told everyone, there's no one who matches up to this kid. He is gorgeous. He's beautiful. Why? Because he's our treasure. Because we treasure him. And so to treasure is to extol. It is to highly praise, right? And so that's what we've been called to do. The sons of Siva, they didn't treasure Jesus. They knew a lot about him. And they did mighty works in his name. But they didn't treasure him. They didn't know him. Um, and so what God requires of us is to treasure Jesus, enjoy him, know him. And so what does the daily life of someone who treasures Jesus look like? And we're going to find this in the next few verses. What does the daily life of someone who treasures Jesus look like? I'll say that again. Daily life. This should reflect you daily. The first thing is we let go of our old treasure. Let go of our old treasure. Look at verse 18. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. They were giving up what they lived for. They were giving up uh, anything that didn't fit into the law of Christ. In essence, they were turning from their old life. They were turning from sin. They were turning from the, the things that they've always done that thought, that, that thought were going to bring true happiness, true pleasure into their life. They turned from that. Um, and so in, in, essence, uh, in essence, what we've been called to do by letting go of our old treasure is that we need to be open to correction on a daily basis. Because we recognize that even if I wake up and I'm like, you know, Lord Jesus, today is your day and I'm going to live for you today and, and, and I just want to know you today and, and I want to love people like you want me to love people. As soon as I get on the interstate and the person drinking their coffee, putting their makeup on and reading their paper at the same time cuts me off, all of that's gone. You know what I mean? Like in that moment, it's like, all right, NASCAR, I'm driving you into the wall, right? You know what I mean? Like it's just one of those, those struggles. So we know that every day there are things in us that aren't pleasing to God and ultimately aren't good for us, aren't good for us. And so we need to be open to correction. And this isn't something that's popular. It isn't something that happens enough in today's churches. And look at the scriptures. It says in Proverbs 15, 32, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. John Wesley, uh, who was the founder of, of the Methodist church, said this, but I trust, wherein soever I have mistaken, my mind is open to conviction. 
I sincerely desire to be better informed. I say to God and man, what I not I now what I know not, teach then me. And so what he's saying is, look, whatever wherever I'm wrong, I'm open to correction. By what? God and man. Number one, by God. And how do how are we corrected by God? It's not audible thing. Thank God it's not. Could you imagine driving down the road, you know what I mean? And someone cuts you off and you're, and you're starting to tailgate them. And all of a sudden you just hear, slow down. You know, like I, I would wreck, all right? Like it would not be a good thing. How does God correct us? Through his scripture, through his words. When we read the scriptures and we study what Jesus tells us to do, when he tells us to turn the other cheek, when he tells us to, to put the, the needs of others before us, that corrects our attitudes. Because you can't argue with that. You can't argue with Jesus. I can argue with anybody. I can't argue with Jesus, right? And so when he tells me to love people unconditionally, when he tells me to forgive people unconditionally, I, I can't argue with that. And so we need to be open to God's correction, but also to man's correction. And so you need to have close relationships with other Christians who are trying to live this life God's called us to, who will openly correct you. Now, they, they better do it out of love. And, and I have a friend of mine, and I don't know if they're even in this room, but a friend of mine from, from this church, and, and we get, we've been spending a lot more time with them lately, and, and that's who I think he is to me. Um, he, he, whenever, it, I, I, can't, I can't just like blow anything past him. I can't just say, you know, because if it, if I say anything, whether I'm joking or I'm not, if it's not something that lines up with what Christ has for us, if it's not something that's encouraging, if it's something that tears people down or whatever, he always calls me on it. And it's not an embarrassing thing. It's not like he's like, oh, look at you, loser, right? No, like, and he's not doing it in front of anybody, but he'll say, hey, you know, do you, like, what do you think about that? Did you hear what you said? Or, or what do you think about this idea? And he thinks very critically, and he thinks, he thinks very wisely. And so when, when he says something to me, I listen. And sometimes he's corrected ideas that I've had that, that, weren't wrong, that, that were wrong, and, and, and sometimes he just says things that are stupid, and I don't listen. But anyway, like, like I, I have that relationship with him. And you need to have the same. And, and I know, like, at some point, when I was a teenager, I thought I knew everything. Now that I'm 26, almost 27, I know I know everything, right? And, and, and as you get older, you know that you know that you know everything, right? And it's harder to be corrected. But we all need to be open to correction on a daily basis by God and by our brothers and sisters. So we're open to correction. And why be corrected and give up your old treasure? Why do that? Because number one, you're giving it up for something much, much better. Paul said in Philippians 3 that I count everything as loss. Everything I've ever loved, everything that I thought was more important as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. When I'm corrected by a friend of mine or, or, or they, they say, hey, I don't know about this thing that you said or this idea that you had. When they're correcting me, they're not doing it so they can feel superior. You know why they're correcting me? Because that idea was a, was a boundary. That idea was slowing me down. That idea was clouding my vision to see Jesus more clearly. And ultimately, my goal is what? To see him more clearly. Not to be corrected by my friends. Not to, not to be a good preacher. Not to be um, a, a great father, a great husband. But my ultimate goal, more than anything, and those things are important, but my ultimate goal, more than anything, is to see Jesus. And so to be open to correction is because I know that those things are keeping me back from knowing him fully. Um, the second thing is that you give it up for something that lasts. You give it up for something that lasts. And that and, and, and brings us to the, the second point here. Um, number one, we let go of our old treasure. Number two, we redefine 
treasure. In other words, you find value in things that last. Look at verse 19. A number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. The way of the world is lucrative. It always has been and it always will be. However, it won't last. It won't last. And so when we start to put value in things of this world, they're not going to last. And you, you put your energy and you put all of your time and your, and your emotion and, and your family and all these other things into things that won't last. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if, if, if you're on this, this new road following Jesus, then you need to redefine what treasure is. It needs to be things that last. Look at Hebrews 12. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 26 through 29. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Now listen to this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you hear what it says? Everything Everything in this world, everything created by us, by human hands, it will go away. It will be shaken and it will go away. But the things we do for God will last forever. That's a good investment. Uh, recently, we had a funeral for one of our family members here at Christ Church, um, Dan Jones. And if you knew Dan, he sat right about there and I would hear amens from him and sometimes you'd hear other things. And, uh, and, and Dan, it's funny, I was uh, at the visitation and his wife said to me, you know, he's, and he always had an oxygen tank. And he said, you know, he's not carrying that oxygen tank anymore. And I said, I, he might be. And she looked at me and I said, well, I mean, he's carried it for so long, Jesus might not recognize him without it. So he might say, you don't need it, but could you just carry it so we know you are, right? And so, so Dan, Dan is, is with Jesus now. And, and one of the most amazing things was I walk in to go to the visitation. And when I walk into the funeral home, there's, there's a family here in this room and there's a visitation for someone else there's a family here in this room and there's a visitation for someone else and then there's Dan's and Dan's was this stupid big happy joy filled group of people and it was crazy like it was like a party down there everyone it, like it was just constantly packed and I was down there for, for a little bit not very long maybe a half hour or so and when I left when I came when I walked by those other rooms that just had a few family members they still only had a few family members. And I started to think, Dan lived for something that lasted. Dan invested in something that lasted. Dan invested in Jesus, and Dan invested in people for Jesus. Do you know how I know that? Because there were people there. There were people there who were there, a living testament, that Dan was showing them the love of Christ through his life. He was a faithful man of God. And we see that it, it mattered. Even, even when he, his body is in this box and he's not with us, we still gather together joyfully to honor and respect him because he lived for something that mattered, that lasted. I don't know the situation with the other families, but it's just kind of used in a, in a moment uh, kind of to show the contrast of living for what mattered. And I know Dan did, and it showed in his life. And so we need to redefine our treasure. And redefining your treasure is redefining your focus. It affects, and it affects the way you see things, and it affects everything you do by redefining your focus. And, and so what I mean by that is that um, how you spend your money shows where your treasure is. So, so what do you treasure? 
How do you spend your money? Do you do every time you get a little bit of breathing room, you know, in your budget? And if everybody knows what that, that is in their life, uh, if, if you're me, it's something very rarely found. But, you know, when you get a little breathing room, where does that go? You immediately go, all right, surround sound speakers, it's time. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to watch Avatar the right way. You know, like, where does your money go? So your money defines where your treasure is. So redefine your treasure will redefine how you spend your money. Your time, how do you spend your time? Does your, does your time, uh, uh, do you spend it on yourself? Do you spend it with other people? Do you spend it investing in other people and showing them the love of Christ? Then it will last and we see where your treasure is. What your relationships look like. Do your relationships exist so that you can get what you can get out of them? Or do they exist so that you can share the love of Christ with them? That you can love them and serve them and encourage them as Christ would want you to. Redefine your treasures, redefines how we live. And the third thing, and the last thing, we point others to our treasure. Point others to our treasure. Look at verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You draw attention to what your treasure is because you praise it. And so on a daily basis, you should pointing back right to your treasure. By the way that you live, we live and we love people with the, with the love of Jesus. Why? Because we experience his love. And I can't help but experience it and not want to show it to someone else. I can't help but be encouraged by someone and not want to encourage someone else, right? And so if you treasure Jesus, then you'll point others to your treasure. You ever been to a restaurant and seen someone sitting on the same side of the booth as the person they're on the date with and there's no one on the other side of the booth? Doesn't that drive you crazy? It drives me crazy. Like I'm move, weirdo, right? Like face each other, sit on this side, right? Like I always just want to sit in with them and be like, well, it was, it was open, right? I'm not waiting on it to say it's, it's open. I don't know. I won't talk to you. It's fine. I'm just going to be right here. But anyway, like that's puppy love. And when you see people like that, they treasure one another and they point to their treasure. You know, like it's the guy, you know, Angela always says, you know, you never hold my hand anymore. Well, it's, I, I've got you, right? You know what I mean? Like before I used to hold your hand so you wouldn't get away. And now like, I, I got you, right? You know? And so, so anyway, but you see them holding their hand. You see they're with their arm around them. And it's a, it's, they're proud of their treasure. They're pointing the world to their treasure. And, and you know, it's always a sweet thing when you see older people who've been married many, many years who are still that way, you know, that, that they're, they're so proud, um, they're so proud of their treasure. You know, um, my, uh, my dad uh, always goes out to eat with some of his friends he graduated high school with. And he always says he's going out with the old farts. That's what he calls it. And so I don't, I don't know if they know that's what he calls them, uh, but that's what he calls them. So uh, if you know anyone that goes to that, give them this CD. But anyway, they, uh, they treasure their, their relationships with their wives. And, and, you know, like now they're in a new, new stage in life. And so they're, they're kind of getting to know each other in a different way. And, and so, you know, when they treasure their wives, they talk about their wives. They talk about their treasure. And, you know, my dad was talking to one of his friends, Roy, and he, and he said to Roy, you know, um, aren't you and your wife celebrating your, your 50th anniversary? You know, do you, do you have any plans? He said, yeah, it's 50 years. And, and he said, well, you know, on our 25th, I made a really special trip and I took her down to San Antonio. And he said, well, what are you doing for your 50th? I think I might go back and get her. You know, and so... So you point to your treasure, right? You point to your, your treasure. And when you truly treasure something, when, when it's really affecting the way that you live, it's affecting the way you think, you can't help it. It's not, you don't have to go to evangelism explosion. You don't have to be trained. Like, I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. Do you love him? Well, then just tell him you love him. 
right? Like show it in the way that you live. I love this verse out of Jeremiah 29. It says, if I say I will not mention him, saying if I try not to mention God or speak any more in his name, if I try to just shut up about him, here's what he says. There is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary with holding it in and I cannot. Isn't that amazing? Like we, isn't that an amazing thought? If I try not to tell you about my treasure and who Jesus is, it's like a fire in my bones and I'm so tired of holding it and I can't do it anymore. Isn't that something you want to, to be said about you? Isn't that something you want to be able to say? Then if we truly treasure him, if it truly affects the way we think and the way we live and act and move, then, it, it, then, then we will show our treasure. We'll point others to our treasure. So what's the thing God requires of us? To treasure him. There's some people in this room that, you know, you've, you've done good deeds. You've done mighty works. Maybe you've done them in the name of Jesus. Maybe you've been on a mission trip. Maybe you teach Sunday school. Maybe you come to church quite a bit. Maybe you come way more than another family member. You know what I mean? So you can go home and be like, where were you this morning? Oh, I was at church, right? And so maybe, you know, you've done your duty, right? Well, the Bible says, and we see here, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who admits I'm Lord, not everyone who does great things for me is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. And what is that will? To treasure Jesus, to know him. And do you know where it starts? Do you know where it starts? It starts with simply um, acknowledging that your way, following your way, following your path, it's not working. And you're going to follow him. Choosing to follow him, that's where you start with treasuring him. If you've never done that, if you've never chosen to follow him, to surrender to him, to be forgiven by him, you can do it today. Start today. Start today. Don't be a person who will stand in front of God and say, no, no, I know you're God. No, I, I saw your picture at church one time. Like, no, no, I, I've been to church. I used to teach VBS, okay? Like, I went on a mission trip or anything like that. And, and he's going to say, I don't, I never knew you. Don't, don't be that person. If you want to treasure him, it starts with choosing to follow him. It starts by acknowledging he is a treasure. It starts by acknowledging he's worth living for. So do that today. I encourage you, before you leave this room, find me, find Brother John, find Matt, find someone, and say, I, choo I want to choose to follow Jesus today. And let us pray with you. Let us kind of show you what's next. Now, for others in this room, we have believers in this room who maybe our daily lives need to look a little different. Maybe on a daily basis, we need to be open to correction, and we need to be open to let go of our old treasures. Is that anyone in this room? Maybe some of us in this room, not only do we need to be open to correction and, and, and daily let go, but we need to redefine our treasures and our minds. And we need to think more critically about how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend uh, our relationships. We need to think more critically and say, what am I investing in? Am I investing in something that will last or not? And then lastly, we need to daily be pointing to our treasure, showing others the treasure of Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we've been able to spend together, God. Um, I, pray, I pray during this, this, I don't know, this time of offering and as we go and eat lunch and all these things, God, I pray that if there's anyone in here um, who they would fall in the categories of workers of lawlessness and they don't even know it. That they would, they're, they're people who, yeah, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Yeah, no, no, he's totally God. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he died on the cross for me. They would recognize that's not enough. That's not what you want of them. You don't want them to simply stand there and tell them who you are. You don't want them to simply, you know, do good things for you or to go to church. You want them to treasure you. You want them to know you. 
And so, God, would you work in their hearts now and let them know that the first step in that is choosing to follow you, is choosing to say, yep, I'm going to follow him now. I don't know what it means to treasure him yet. That's kind of a foreign idea to me, but, but I'm going to choose to follow him now. God, w- would, you, would you bring those people to that point today? And God, don't let them walk out of this room without coming and talking to us and saying, yep, I'm choosing to follow him for the first time. I'm choosing him today. And let us pray with them and walk them through what's next. God, for others in this room, believers in this room, we are hard-headed people, and yet you love us. We're people who we, correction's a hard thing. God, will we not despise correction, but instead be open to let go of our old treasures and to grab hold of something better, to not let things get in our way of seeing you for who you really are? And God, would, would we be people um, who not, not only would, would let go of our old treasure, but also refocus and redefine what treasure is and, and really start investing in things that last, investing in things of you. Be more critical about our time and our money and our family and our relationships and say, I need to make these matter. I need to make these last. And may we invest all of them in you by following you, by following your leading in all of them. And lastly, God, and, and extremely, uh, extremely important point, God, may we start to show your treasure to others. We've been commanded to do it. May that be on a daily basis. May we point others to the source of our love, the source of our joy, the source of our grace that we extend to others. May we point back to our source of that, which is you, which is your love, which is your grace. So God, we, we thank you and, and I ask that whatever you need to do in our hearts, you do it now. So God, as, as um, we are about to take up this offering, um, God, I pray that, that um, you would bless those who give. Um, God, it'd be an act of worship. And, and we simply say to you, God, we give back to you what you've already given us. And so God, just, just use this as a, as a time of worship. And God, be lifted up by our gifts that we give back to you. May we show you what a treasure you are by giving our money back to you to be used for your glory. And God, do that. Use, use our offering for your glory, for the spread of your fame, the spread of your kingdom, to introduce people to your love, to your grace, to your mercy, and not to spread Christ's church fame, not to spread Grant Nixon's fame, not to spread John Latimer's fame, but to spread your fame. God, we want people to know you. We want people to know your love. So would you use this money we give to spread your kingdom work, not Christ's church work. We love you, and we ask that, that you would be blessed during this time. Work in our hearts. Bring those to repentance that need to turn away from their old life and turn to you for the first time. And bring us to repentance, those who don't live to treasure you on a daily basis. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.